Ladies and gentlemen, please notice that exits are conveniently located at the front and rear of this auditorium. When leaving the theater, we suggest that the exit at the front of the auditorium will allow you easier access to the parking areas. Thank you. And away we go. That's, a, that's right. a new thing I'm working on. <laughs> when you always love that list, I just love the questions. I don't walk right into that. that. There are some, I'm not saying this is a good movie. Oh, what? That is finished Willem Dafoe. He, he looks, looks just like Willem Dafoe. He, I thought he looked very familiar. You're, don't throw out a fact. You are correct. You're Butler, correct. you should do some facts sometimes. Do some facts sometimes, Butler. Don't take my facts. <laughs> I'm pretty confident your brother doesn't listen to the Forgotten Cinema podcast, but if he does, boo! Hello, I'm Mike Butler. And I'm Mike Field. And you're listening to the Forgotten Cinema Podcast. Each episode, we highlight a film that, for a variety of reasons, was forgotten by audiences. Whether it be because a more popular movie was released at the same time, or the film simply didn't catch on with an audience in its initial run. We'll discuss what we love about the movie, or perhaps don't love about it, but we'll always recommend you revisit it. If you enjoy our podcast, please feel free to rate, review, and subscribe on Apple Podcasts or wherever you are listening to this podcast. Yeah. Woo. That was all I got. Eh. So we are rounding out our, we're in the final stage of season three. Dun, dun, dun. The punt, the penultimate <laughs> episode. That's right. I don't even know if I said that right. Get ready for a big cliffhanger for now. <laughs> <laughs> Will Butler survive? Don't miss the last five minutes of ER. For those out there who watched ER, you probably know what that meant. I like that you're connecting uh, the ER because Clooney's in this and ER Clooney. Yes, nice. that's, that's exactly what I was doing. <laughs> <laughs> I, of course, am talking about we are doing the 2015 fantasy. I guess this says mystery. Uh, I would say more of adventure. Mm. Uh, Tomorrowland starring George Clooney and Britt Robertson. So I will really quickly just go through some facts. Tomorrowland has a runtime of 130 minutes. Rated PG. Production budget of $190 million. It's opening weekend. It did thirty-three million domestic, ninety-three worldwide, two hundred and nine million dollars. So yeah, not not good. No, <laughs> it was released on May twenty-second, two thousand fifteen. That was a Friday, the same time as another movie that you had not seen, Poltergeist, the remake of Poltergeist. Yep. The week after, you had San Andreas and Aloha. I would guess San Andreas is probably its main competition. Aloha is more of a, I don't say drama, but I guess it's summertime. We're in the we're in the opening of summer. I guess everything's a competition. The week before, you had Mad Max Fury Road, which was very good. Oh yeah, and Pitch Perfect Two, which if you even if you didn't like Pitch Perfect Two, we and I keep we always say this: Pitch Perfect, the first one was such a success that the sequel is always going to be very popular. Yep. So it came out and it came out after a, a big weekend, but that's probably not why it was forgotten or people don't seem to latch onto it, which we'll get into. Uh, directed by Brad Bird, also written by Brad Bird and Damon Lindelof. Uh, Brad Bird, uh, if you do not know who he is, I would assume you do, but he is responsible for The Iron Giant, The Incredibles, Ratatouille, uh, Mission Impossible 4, Ghost Protocol. He also wrote, which I did not know this, Batteries Not Included, uh, the 80s film. I didn't know that either until I saw that one. Uh, he also did a couple episodes for Amazing Stories, uh, which is an anthology that was out uh, in the 80s as well from Spielberg. Uh, he wrote Family Dog and the main attraction. Two episodes. Lindelof is from Lost. Uh, he also did the new updated Star Trek movie. And he did the uh, TV show The Leftovers or the HBO show Leftovers. Mm -hmm. Music by Michael Giacchino. I said that right? That's right, right? I always mispronounce. I yeah. think it's Giacchino. He's all over the place. And uh, if I said his name wrong, well, I say so many people's names wrong that uh, at this point, I think there's just a blanket apology always attached <laughs> to it. 
Uh, he is big time Star Trek, uh, more recently Jojo Rabbit, and he also did Bad Times at El Royale, which I did not realize as well. Oh, he yeah. did he? He also did all the Planet of the Apes films. Correct. He's, I mean, pretty much any big movie now he's a part of. He's kind of like the new modern John Williams in terms of his scores are very sweeping, very orchestral. Yes, you they're memorable. Yes. So yes. A cinematography by Claudio Miranda from Life of Pi, The Curious Case of Benjamin Button, Oblivion, which we both like. Yes. I also really like Curious Case of Benjamin Button, but I know you don't. Well, Oblivion, like we both like. <laughs> I just, listen, there's, I don't love, but I, I don't. Benjamin Button is a good movie, and I don't, I don't necessarily love Benjamin Button like a lot of people do. I, I, I it's fine. It's very tough to watch a baby die at the end. So that, that's oh no, that's tough. that's yeah, super that's upsetting. Really yes. tough. And it's the only other time other than like dogs dying where I was like crying. At the yeah, it's that's a tough. That's a tough. Uh, that's a tough way to end it. Uh, producer, I just, I all these movies have many different producers. I just kind of like highlight a couple every once in a while. Uh, this uh, was one of the producers on this movie was Jeffrey Chernoff. And he is, was also for Black Panther, Star Trek. So he has uh, his name behind some big projects. I'll run through the cast real quick. George Clooney plays Frank Walker. Britt Robertson is Casey Newton. Uh, Rafi Cassidy or Rafi Cassidy. Probably Rafi Cassidy is Athena. Hugh Laurie is Nix. Tim McGraw is Eddie Newton. Catherine Hahn is Ursula. And Keegan-Michael Key as Hugo. They have a... Uh, Hahn and Key have... Uh, they're small roles. They're probably like... Extended cameos. Yeah, kind of. I'm sure everyone knows where Clooney is from. Uh, if you don't uh, like the Ocean's movies, ER, Michael Clayton, uh, Britt Robertson, you might not know. She was in uh, Scream 4, um, Dan in Real Life, which I really like that movie. Did you ever see Dan in Real Life? With, no. Uh, that's a really good movie. Uh, the Space Between Us, and she's in upcoming the I Still I Still Believe movie, which I'm sure we'll be getting at our theater. Cassidy, Rafi, Rafi Cassidy, from, uh, who plays Athena, is from Snow White and the Huntsman. She's also an ally in Killing of a Sacred Deer, which I've been meaning to see and I have not yet seen. Yeah, I mean, everyone else, it, they're pretty much, their names, you've known them, you've seen them, I'm sure. If, uh, I mean, I can blow through them, but I'm Hugh Laurie's from House. Yeah, so, <laughs> like I said, they're, they're all over the place. Let me get to the synopsis real quick of what Tomorrowland is about. Break and then, it down. And then we'll jump right into the movie, <laughs> or in, in terms of into our discussion, viewing topics, facts kind of thing. Yes. Have you ever wondered what would happen if all the geniuses, the artists, the scientists, the smartest, most creative people in the world decided to actually change it? But where? Where could they even do such a thing? They'd need a place free from politics and bureaucracy, distractions, greed, a secret place where they could build whatever they were crazy enough to imagine. So I am reading this off of Google, everyone. So um, because I'm just not going to try to like break it down in my own words because that's just that just gets flawed. <laughs> Whatever Casey Newton, as I said, played by Britt Robertson, touches a lapel pin with the letter T on it. She finds herself transported to Tomorrowland, a city filled with huge robots and sleek buildings. That is that, right off the bat. That's that's not accurate. The gifted <laughs> young woman recruits the help of a scientist, Frank Walker, a previous visitor to Tomorrowland who years ago made a startling discovery about the future. Together, the two adventurers travel to the metropolis to uncover its mysterious secrets. This, this, this synopsis sucks. That's not what it's about. Break it down. <laughs> um, to uh, Basically, the world's gone to poop. And Casey is somebody who is uh, forever the optimist. And she discovers the pin, the lapel pin, the T. It's basically the Tomorrowland symbol. For those who are familiar with Disney World, uh, there's a there's a world down there called Tomorrowland, which has all like you know, the futuristic uh, 
the endeavors of people like what the, what, what could the future be like uh, and stuff like it's it's like, like epcot is it's almost like if epcot was in tomorrowland but it's not it's in uh tomorrowland's in disney world i'm talking about like epcot's got you're looking at me like i like, thought epcot i thought tomorrowland was part of epcot no tomorrowland's part of disney world tomorrowland's like with frontierland and yeah. okay i've yeah. been uh, listen i, 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 I believe this summer i'm just saying what i thought i thought no, it was no. part of it i understand that that's what i'm saying yeah like, okay when you're in epcot you feel kind of like the tomorrowland vibe like it should be but no they're separate okay. so back to we're not breaking down uh <laughs> tell me about disney world <laughs> i'm breaking down uh yeah uh Walt disney world so anyway she touches the pin and what she sees is like a two and a half minute video pitch of what Tomorrowland is like it's waiting for you and what, what what the possibilities of this world could be where everyone is just focused on building a better tomorrow not bogged down by ego or, or greed greed right they're basically all looking forward always looking forward like we talk in um meet the robinsons meet the robinsons one of our other episodes like that was one of the quotes at the end like always moving forward so she meets up with this young woman named athena who you find out is a animatronic robot Audio animatronic. Audio, excuse me, audio animatronic. And she tells her that the fate of the world is in stake. We need to go get Frank Walker, who, which is played by George Clooney. And from there, that they need to go to Tomorrowland because she discovers that Tomorrowland is actually a place. Uh, I guess they don't really kind of say where it is. You're supposed to assume it's another It's universe. in its own little like pocket universe. Yeah, right. its own dimension. Like we're dealing with a multiverse here. Yes. Um. So we need to get there and we need to, we need to basically stop what's happening because in, I guess in a couple months there's some kind of there's a signal 56 days there's in 56 <laughs> days there's something that's going to happen that's going to cause the apocalypse catastrophic events are going to take place they don't know what it is but they know it's something and they and everyone frank walker who is george clooney again thinks that you know it's 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 over it's done it, you know who cares you know he's angry he's very right. angry throughout this movie but casey believes always that there's something that there must be something that we can do because of her optimism uh, Walker starts believing in that and starts fighting for their future, fighting for a Tomorrowland. And from there, they go to Tomorrowland, and, and what happens is they build this giant ball that it's a, what is it? It's, it uses tachyon, uh, it uses tachyons, which are faster than the speed of light. Right. So and time, but, right? Kind of, they can break the laws of physics, right? Time. And what what it's supposed to do? It's supposed to read. It's supposed to just see what the future and the past is in the other world. Basically, yeah. yeah. But what it's also doing is submitting a signal to everyone, you know, sub subconsciously uh, showing them the apocalypse, showing them what could happen if they continue down this path of, of, of gluttony, of, you know, using the resources of, of uh, ignoring the, the warnings of climate change and all that stuff. Yep. And what, but what that does, it doesn't really inspire anybody to kind of change the world. What it's doing is just, People are just kind of like, eh, whatever. Um, so it's obviously it's very topical. <laughs> and so, but they realize that what it's doing is just feeding, as they say in the movie, it's feeding the wrong wolf. It's, it's like a self-fulfilling prophecy machine, basically. Right. So that, so they need to shut it down. And that's kind of like the crux of the ending of the movie. Um, but yeah. So that was my terrible synopsis of what Tomorrowland is helped by Mike as I obviously <laughs> struggle through that. But um. So I really like this movie. I don't know if I've mentioned this before. I probably have on the cast. I think you have. Yeah. So, and I know that you've always mentioned that you don't like it as much as I like it. No, no, no I don't okay. think anyone likes it as much. I don't think Brad Bird himself likes it as much as you like it. Although, um, listen, maybe he does. Listen. <laughs> I know people that like this movie as much as I do. They just, I just don't ever hear from them again. Um, <laughs> <laughs> 
But so you you haven't seen it since the theater. No. Uh, give me some of your first uh, impressions, I guess, or I kind of, I guess, second impressions, if you will. Second um, impressions, because I, because I did, I had no change. But go ahead. So I, I like this movie a lot. I mean, I didn't, I don't not like it. My main issue is it takes a long time to get to the plot of the story. It takes a long time to get to basically the issue at hand, which is the the fact that this device is doing this self fulfilling prophecy. We get hints at it at the beginning and the end, or a couple of times. You see the uh, the clock ticking down, but for the most part. It's just you don't really get that until they get to Tomorrowland. Well, I guess that is why I sat here and going, was it really a mystery? I, I probably that's the element of of they're trying to solve like, what what really is Tomorrowland or what really why what Casey's trying to figure out what is going on here. But is she? Because her main thing is not trying to figure out what's going on here. Her main thing is I need to get to Tomorrowland. Well, yeah, or obviously. That place. They don't say Tomorrowland. The only time they say Tomorrowland is when George Clooney says you wanted to see Tomorrowland. Here it is. Yes, that's that, the only time they that say That is it. the only time they say it. Yeah. Uh they don't they don't have a specific name for the city or anything like that. Right, yeah. Yeah. Uh I understand your point. I, I that's that's fair. That's a that's a fair analysis of the movie. Um, I still like it. Uh <laughs> <laughs> that's the main new thing that kind of popped up this time is is that I I found the relationship between Athena and George Clooney to be, I mean, I liked it in the last time, but I think I liked it better the second time around. I think this one of this movie, and I've said this before for a couple of other things, uh, the Burbs and uh, well, not the Burbs. I'm sorry. Um, what was the movie? One of our older movies where I said that I th- it was in the wrong decade. Um, Krampus. Yes, I said that for Krampus. So I I, I also think that this is. A movie that's probably I understand why it comes out now because the it I mean the 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 main message of the movie is that to quote uh, to quote Jerry Maguire and to quote Tom Cruise and Jerry Maguire when he's trying to win Dorothy Boyd back you know these are cynical times you know, <laughs> I, I think this movie has been planted in a time when we people are cynical and people are depressed and down and, yeah because uh, they're putting that in our brains from the well, tachyon machine that, to save civilization. I would show its collapse. But how do you think this vision was received? How do you think people responded to the prospect of imminent doom? They gobbled it up like a chocolate eclair. They didn't fear their demise, they repackaged it. It can be enjoyed as video games, as TV shows, books, movies, the entire world wholeheartedly embraced the apocalypse and sprinted towards it with gleeful abandon. That's in the movie, yes. But I'm saying in real life, in reality, wait a minute, maybe that is real. In reality, you know, people people tend to harp on the negative quite often. And with the advent of social media, uh, where everyone is, you know, on their phones and and not having face to face contact, it's a lot easier to be negative when you don't have the person in front of you. It's a lot easier to kind of like just spew out everything that you're, you know, angry about or upset about valid or invalid in, in terms of your feelings. So I think that just creates a whole negative ball of energy. This movie coming out, which it was four years ago, well, going on five, mm-hmm. I guess it fits in this decade, in that time. I understand that. But if this this movie feels very much like a movie from the 80s, it feels very much like just that kind of optimism, that kind of adventure spirit. Would it be the same type of movie if it was made back then? Probably not. It would probably be a lot different. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, Brad Bird is much younger then, so I don't know if he'd be involved with that. <laughs> but you know what I mean. Like it's, I think it's right for this time. 
I just think that maybe audiences really couldn't latch onto it as much. And maybe I'm making a case for why it's forgotten now. Maybe I've just I've spiraled into that. I think people didn't I guess respond to it as much as I I did perhaps. You know, I always talk about the movie The Terminal where the that message gets ahead of the movie. Yep. The the Tom Hanks starring movie with Steven Spielberg. I think that in this movie I think you could probably make a case for the same thing like the message gets ahead of the movie. But I like a lot of the stuff in the movie and it appeals to my younger self who enjoys adventure films and enjoys Indiana Jones and those, you know. Sure, yeah. I mean, there aren't a lot of adventure films anymore, which we've talked about in the podcast before. Correct. So I think that's probably why I like this movie a lot more maybe than you or or maybe than some others. Let me ask you a question because you talked, we talked, we're talking about structure. I had somebody, I watched this movie and then I had like a friend of mine came in with somebody else that he knew they watched it. They came out and not my friend, but his friend said that this had third act problems. And I didn't agree with that. And I'm trying, I'm, because you talk about it gets to the thing, it gets to a long time to the plot. Do you agree with that? The third act is the, it's the whole movie. So yeah, I think the third act is, 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 is everything crammed into the one. Here's the story. Let's solve it. And it's literally because I had to watch, I watched this in two days. This time. Um, you know, Butler, maybe if you took care of yourself and you got yourself in a nice bedtime. <laughs> <laughs> Never. <laughs> an hour and 25. Now you're in Tomorrowland. Hour 25 for this two hour and 10 minute movie. Now you're at the plot of the movie. But are you? You're, 10 you're, minutes is, is credit. But you're not so. bored getting to that point. My, no, like, not at all. That's why I like I like the movie. But I think that's a big issue with the film is that where's your story? It's all at the end. It, it doesn't take. I mean, it takes off. There's always the robots chasing them. It's always they're always on the run, which is cool. The fantastic set pieces and special effects. The acting's good. The dialogue's fun. But what's this movie about? Casey getting to Tomorrowland when everyone tells her you don't want to go to Tomorrowland. No, the plot is there's this device we have to stop, which doesn't come into play until the very end, which is the third act. Well, that's 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 a plot. But also, let's talk about I just I just spent five minutes talking about the message of the movie. It's also about the eternal optimist of Casey who has to make the eternal pessimist, who is Frank Walker change his mind she you know, almost like and it's a road movie so it gets it goes from when they get frank and they got to get to tomorrow and she's also there's a subplot theme running in there that she can change frank walker's mind mm-hmm. and it, then then it becomes well okay but can you change the mind of the world which is that tachyon machine you know what i'm saying so it's almost they i i'm i'm not i'm not making I mean, i'm not stating this case saying like you're wrong i'm just kind of giving you an alternate I, look i, at I understand that. that i just don't buy that he that's the other thing is i don't believe that she changes his mind. Like it just happens all of a sudden. Like, yeah, okay, the the first glitch, and then he gets this hint that okay, right. maybe. Maybe, yeah. Which I'm talking about in the house when Correct. all of a sudden the percentage goes down from hundred percent end of the world to ninety nine point like four six or something like yeah. that. It's a, it's enough. <laughs> I know with absolute certainty the exact time of your death. Now, you want me to tell you or not? Of course I would. Who wouldn't? What if accepting my death is what causes it? So the answer is yes. I would want you to tell me. But I wouldn't believe you. You have to believe me. Why? Don't we, like, make our own destiny and stuff? Uh, he he remains cantankerous the whole time, unbelieving. I think maybe some of the adventure, being able to go back and see these devices of Tomorrowland, going to the Eiffel Tower, explaining how Tesla, Edison, um, Eiffel, and... I can't remember who that fourth guy was. Ooh. Isn't it Jules Verne? 
Was it Vern? Oh, maybe it was Vern. I don't know. I don't know. I should have wrote that. But they all, how they Shame all came together us. to create Tomorrowland. He's going through this history and he's all excited about it. I mean, maybe that excites him a little bit, but then all of a sudden he goes from this guy like, oh, you want to see Tomorrowland? Here it is. Everything's going to end. Everything's going to end. Oh, no, it's not going to end. She can save it. Like, all of a sudden, like, he's just like, yeah. I, I, I don't think I don't, he was like that when he got there. Uh, I think he's like, show. he knew what they were. He knew, and we're talking about Walker, Frank right. Walker. He knew the reason why the world was going to end in 56 days. Right. He didn't know how, but he knew why. And it was the machine, the machine, because the machine showed him, but he didn't like, because he, they, they saw the future, right? but he didn't know that the machine was causing that. Oh, I'm not saying right. that. Yeah. I'm, I'm saying he all of a sudden knows about Casey. Mm-hmm. I gotcha. Like, oh, Casey can save the world. When he kind of didn't seem to maybe completely buy it. Oh, hundred percent. And then all of a sudden he's all in on that. Okay, so you bring up the house, and the house is an awesome. Set it's piece. my favorite scene in the, the house. Movie. Is an awesome set piece. Even the even the the fight at the blast from the past is is a good is a nice little set piece. Yeah. When they're, when they're trying to kill her, right? Or I guess yeah, trying to kill her. Oh, they're trying to kill her, right? <laughs> so you have moments in this movie though that are really well done and exciting and okay. adventurous. Again. I like this movie. I, I, yeah, but you're. I'm not really trying to make you hate this over. movie. No, no, no. You're, you're, I'm trying to provide a counterpoint for your intense love of the movie, or else this podcast is going to be just a, me, a love let me, fest. Let me let me tell you something, brother. <laughs> you're not going to make me change. I know I'm not because I really like. I do like this movie, and I, but I understand the criticism and the critique of it. I just, I guess, my only response to that would be like there are a lot of other movies out there that are far worse than this movie and have far more problems. And I'm sorry, but like there are a lot of people that can't do that scene in the house. That whole scene, that whole, the, the creativity of that whole scene in the oh, house. Brad Bird's fantastic, right? Creative. His movies are fantastic. I'd love to see him do more live action stuff. Ghost Protocol opens up uh, Mission Impossible: Ghost Protocol, which is, I think, his first live action directing gig. Yeah, yeah. Um, well, it, big well, I think time, he yeah. did Amazing Stories. Actually, he wrote. He might have done one of the episodes. episodes. Yeah, but that opening set piece when Tom Cruise is escaping from that Russian prison at the beginning. That, you think that's one of the best ones of the Mission Impossible series? I don't. The end, that's the one that ends with the parking garage, right? No, that's the one where he's in. No, Ghost Protocol is when he's in the prison. And well, I mean, the, the breakout and, scene is. And that's what I'm talking about. That's yeah. the opening. He's like, light the match. It's the, the match. best yeah. opening sequence. Yes, that's by, what I'm saying. Oh, the best yeah. opening? Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Yeah, yes. yeah, yeah. Although I do like Mission Impossible 1's more spy centric one, but in terms of the more action packed one, starting yeah. with two, that's absolutely the uh, the best opening. Because mm-hmm. that, that scene was. I was like, oh, wow. All right. I'm, I'm in yeah. on that one. So Brad Bird. Right off the bat, you know he knows how to make great set pieces. The Incredibles has some great action as well. And the Iron Giant, when the, uh, spoiler alert, the Iron Giant goes evil and starts destroying whoa, stuff. That whoa, was really cool whoa. and well done as well. Right. He comes he, back. He does come back. The Iron <laughs> Giant's and, amazing. And everyone cries at the end. <laughs> oh, God. Uh, and then the Iron Giant moves on to create a racing franchise. <laughs> Firmly. <laughs> but no, the, the set pieces and stuff... All stem from Brad Bird's amazing, amazing, I think, love for Disney and his love for his his great imagination and creativity. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I just think it has, you know, some issues with story and pacing. Um, well, not I don't know about pacing, but in terms of story, he, he keeps you gripped the whole time through, which is great. But I do think the main issue is probably the story. Okay. And I don't think George Clooney, I think another reason is forgotten. George Clooney isn't really a... I'm not saying he's not a bankable star, but he's not the oh, reason people go to the movies. Come on, yes, absolutely. See, I'm going to take over in, in the masses at that point. In his, yes, at this point in his career, absolutely. This is after Oceans is done, uh, yeah. So that makes you a bankable star. No way. No, come on. I can't believe you said that. It really, he's the only one in the film. Oceans always also had Brad Pitt. It had all these actresses. 
Julia Roberts, but this this you, only seriously, has you're you're, you're saying that George Clooney doesn't bring butts in the seats? I don't think he brings. Oh, come in on. terms of the masses, in terms for a movie like Tomorrowland, he doesn't bring Tomorrowland audiences into the seats. Oh, I disagree with that. Absolutely, I I I, I don't understand why you're not giving. He's a, he's a big time. He's a star. I, I love George. He's Clooney, a movie star, but I don't think he's Tomorrowland draw. And I think he's perfect for this role, and I think he does a fantastic job. But if we're going to come up with reasons why maybe it was forgotten, I, I just don't know. You're saying the reason why this is forgotten is because George Clooney's in it? I think it's one of I, a smaller reason. Not that George Clooney's in it, but that only George Clooney's in it. Like you say. Wait, Hugh Laurie's not a big star? <laughs> Hugh Laurie's a television star. Okay. Like we talked about Bolt. Okay. And we talked about how Chloe Grace Moretz was taken off the project after recording all her dialogue and replaced with Miley Cyrus, which I tried to defend a little bit, but I mean, it's pretty much because Miley was a more bankable star. Mm -hmm. While Britt Robertson did a really great job with Casey, you know, if they had gotten a more bankable star, maybe it would have done better. Like for instance, I know they really wanted Amelia Clark in the role, but she couldn't have, she couldn't do it because she was doing game of Thrones at the time. Mm -hmm. I think maybe if she was in the role, I don't know if she would have done as, as good a job or if it would have been the same kind of acting or the same kind of character. But I think that would have been a little bit more bankable because she was right in the middle of Game of Thrones at that point. Mm -hmm. And I just think maybe having different actors or actresses, including George Clooney, would have made it take off a little bit more. Especially with a big summer movie, you want names, generally speaking. He's a name! More names. I, like multiple names. You want multiple names. I, 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 can't, I can't follow that train of thought. I'm sorry. I, 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 I don't think you're giving him... I'm not saying... Listen, I'm not saying he's Harrison Ford. Okay, like that was actually the example I was going to do. Because you can't. You can't. Yeah. Are there, I mean, there's probably a handful of people that you can say that are going to bring, no matter what it is. Single like name. Harrison Ford, yes. Cruz, Julie Roberts. Um, Brad Pitt. I don't know. DiCaprio. Brad Pitt. Not a, Again, not anymore. No, I just. No, not. I don't think. I, I don't think, think ever. It, I, listen, I don't think people are going to go see a movie like. I'm trying to think of a movie that DiCaprio was in. Although Ad Astra had just come out a few months ago and that really didn't do much. Yeah, there Brad you Pitt's go. Name. There you go. But neither again, neither did this one. Well, so The Revenant, know. but The Revenant wasn't about it, The Revenant wasn't about DiCaprio being in it. He's fantastic in it. But The Revenant was just because it was an Oscar buzz movie. The director was right, big. Yeah. yeah. Um No, I think you have a handful of people that that could will just put butts in the seats. And to be fair, we talked about this on one of our episodes. I can't even remember you have people that are just super hot and people want to see like when we talked about Kevin Hart where people just come up to the theater and be like, can I get the new one for Kevin Hart movie? You know, Tiffany Haddish is right. probably hot right now too. So you have stars that I'm not saying that the level of Harrison Ford, but they are currently hot in terms of people want to see yeah. their stuff. The rock, a Denzel movie. Everyone will want Correct. to see a Denzel Washington movie. Sure. Um, oh, Denzel plays well all the time. It doesn't matter. Well, what it's kind of movie it is. I'm amazed. How, what was the last one? He when it was with, um, she won the award. Viola Davis won about it. Fences? Fences. Like, we both watched Fences. And yeah. it's like a two and a half hour straight drama. And he's not the good guy in it. He's no, not the, at all. Yeah. Right. And it's like, and I'm like, people are just lining up. And I'm like, it's not like, it's a drama. It's a hard drama. It's a great movie. It's a good movie. No, it's a, it's a great movie. He's it's really good. In it. He's just not, the he's, he's not a great guy in it yeah. in the movie. But, and it's like, didn't matter. Denzel's there. Boom. People are coming in. It's amazing how big of a draw he is, which is fantastic. Good for him. But it's yeah. amazing how big it doesn't matter if you I, I always laugh when we're at the theater and we get the Denzel movie and it's one screen. I'm like, no, nope. yeah. <laughs> that needs two screens. I mean, I, I don't know what to tell you here. I know this is our building and maybe you think you know better, but it needs two screens because oh, this yeah. movie is going to be big. 
It doesn't matter. There, people are coming for Denzel. You got to put that in the big house. Absolutely, absolutely. So yeah. No, I, I. So yeah. So put, put Denzel up in that. Denzel, Harrison Ford, Tom Cruise, Julie Roberts. I mean, there's probably a couple other people. The I'm Rock, not Kevin of. Hart. Rock, yeah. I mean, Kevin Harrison Hart. Ford I would say anymore. when he's hot, when he was big, when it was like he was in like almost every movie. You think he's starting to cool down? No, I now? just think that he's. You know, he's he can't be in every movie because he's got other stuff he's doing. And, right. You know, Jumanji. Is oh, you not mean the right. sheer amount of movies he's now doing? Right, 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 right. But we're off topic. <laughs> <laughs> I think that 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 adds the reason. I don't think it's a, a large reason the movie maybe was forgotten. I just think it's a reason, a small part of the reason. So there's two things with this movie that I wanted to just talk about in terms of theme or just kind of when I was watching it, what I thought of, and then I'll try to get into some of the facts of the movie yeah, yeah. and stuff like that. I, one of the things I took away from this movie was that it expresses an overall acceptance by many people in our culture and our society to just whine and complain, to just blame someone else, to not take ownership of, to do something. Right. It talks about the acceptance of, to just complain about something and not, Turn around, and just we'll do something about it. Well, in terms of this is now, mind you, this was five years ago, going on five years because we're we're up and we're hitting. We're actually we're in twenty twenty now, so this is two thousand fifteen. I do think that's somewhat changing now because there you, you have a lot more. There's a lot more younger people that are activists now, and a lot more people that are just kind of like you know trying with with climate change and just you know involved in politics and stuff like that. So yeah. there's definitely like that kind of like movement to kind of like no no no, we need to do something. But I think that I think there was a time when people just kind of like, man, whatever. I don't I don't want to do anything. I, don't, I just want to, you know, we work with people that complain all the time and don't want to do anything. Right. So I think that that this movie kind of like highlights that a little bit in terms sure. of the, the doers and the and the I can't think of another better word for the, the, the not doers. <laughs> I also think that this is the type of movie that many filmmakers, when they were kids, you know, back in the day, this is the type of the movie they dreamed of making. You know, this. Oh, absolutely. Of, yeah. You know what I mean? This is the type of movie that appealed to them when they were growing up and first wanting to make movies. And I'm very surprised that I don't hear more filmmakers talk about this movie that way. Uh, you know what I mean? Like people that are kind of making or I'm putting in what quotations making these type of movies now don't really kind of like reference this movie because I, I think this movie has a lot more to offer in terms of. I know you're saying I, I'm not saying storytelling in terms of the plot holes that you were talking about, but just in terms of the set pieces and just the action and just some of the dialogue. I, I, there's there's a lot of stuff in this movie that I really like. A lot of it's reminiscent of, like you said, movies from the 80s that were like fantastic in the right. early 90s, like with beginning with his jetpack thing. He was trying to get it off. I'm like, that's like the Rocketeer. Right. Right. It's like the Rocketeer level playing with the jetpack. It's still actiony, but it's it's the whole family. It's like that kind of movie you see when you're like you said, when you're a kid, mm -hmm. not super small. Or young, but you're you're suddenly segueing into more adult movies, and you get that kind of good mix of of you can have action and adventure and stakes, yep. but still be fun and exciting, like Indiana Jones, like The Rocketeer, like any of those kind of Goonies type mm -hmm. movies. In that in that sense, the movie is fantastic. Right now, do you think it was a good decision or a bad decision that Brad Bird turned down Star Wars: The Force Awakens for this movie? I was gonna uh, talk about that. I think. I like his quote that he said. Yes, um, agreed. And I'm, I'm going to probably paraphrase it because I couldn't find it directly. But he said that he was given the option of Star Wars. He was offered it. He straight yes, up offered to direct. He was, he was the one over J.J. Abrams to take over the new trilogy. Well, I would assume that J.J. offered it because J.J. was producing it. J.J. had turned it down at that point. Oh, OK. All right. They went to Brad Bird, who was the second choice. Or maybe even it was like tied with J.J. 
And he said that he chose to do Tomorrowland because anyone could do Star Wars. Somebody eventually, somebody was going to do Star Wars, but nobody was going to do Tomorrowland. Right. That was his movie. And I, I always like that quote. And I, I respect him for that. He wanted to do something original. Right. It must have been really tough to say no to Star Wars. Right. I would imagine. Well, not for anything, but now we're lauding the fact that Ryan Johnson did, uh, did Knives Out, the original movie. Oh, I can't believe an original movie played. It did so well, $30 million. It's like, um, I'm sorry, but we're just getting to that realization now. That 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 kind of rose That's the wrong also way. possibly another reason Tomorrowland didn't do so well. Because it's an original concept. Right. I mean, it's based on the ride. But right. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's an original concept that I think now people are finally bored Maybe because of all the different Marvel movies and all the sequels and reboots. Maybe finally now people are like looking for original content to get. But 2015, five years ago. I don't know. I think Knives Out has a has a has a little bit more going for it than Tomorrowland in terms of it has a lot of people in it that people know. It's got Bond. It's got Daniel. Uh, no, so I got George, you. George, it's got Daniel Craig in it. He's right. a new Bond. He is a new Bond. He, new, is, Bond. he is Bond. Um <laughs> It's also Ryan, you know, people, I think people know Ryan Johnson enough in terms of, I'm thinking, I'm saying general audiences. I think it, Ryan Johnson has been helped by the fact that Star Wars was so, just say it. you want to say, divisive. It. you want to say that you hate The Last Jedi, just say I'm it. not a fan of Last Jedi, <laughs> uh, but that it was so, but that's not the point here because I know there are people that like it and don't like it, but it was very divisive. Mm-hmm. And I think that that has helped Ryan Johnson become a name. You know, Looper came out, people like Looper. Yep. But it wasn't Ryan Johnson, Ryan Johnson. But his name was said so much all over social media and stuff that now all of a sudden his name is everywhere. So if you put Ryan Johnson's name on Knives Out, there's even even people that didn't really like Last Jedi. There's this morbid curiosity of well, let's let's watch it and well, the, see what's going on. Right. No, I hear you. I, I, I Yeah, I hear you. I think the, that's also an issue with Brad Bird. I think a lot of people might know Brad Bird like you and I know him filmmaking wise. Yeah. But a lot of the stuff he does in terms of like Incredibles and stuff like that, when you make movies like that for Disney the director's names and the writer's names kind of get hidden behind this Disney facade of the mouse is, is, is the thing that people see is, is Disney's sure. signature, not yeah. necessarily the, the creators behind it. And the focus of uh, these the Disney movies are kids and kids don't care who's making the movie. They just care what's on screen and you know, whether it, right. And parents aren't really parents aren't taking kids to movies because, Oh, Brad Bird did this. You'll love this. They're taking, because what's the new kids movie? Let's go. We got to go do something. Yep. I mean, uh, that's what you do. That's what parents do. You're tr- finding stuff to do for kids. Right. So Although he does Pixar stuff. So I feel like some parents see Pixar and that's, that's also a sign of, I don't know. We're not going to buy I, this. We're parents go now, it. maybe, but when Pixar was first big in the early nineties. Oh yeah. Not at all. Yeah. That, those people were people my age back then, the early twenties like, Oh, these are, these are really good animated exactly. movies. So right. now, you now their parents want yeah. to take, yeah, oh, no, take sure. Yeah. I want, I, I try to get them to watch it, but like, you know, I, like I saw their new movies, uh, soul. I mean, it looks okay, but I mean, I don't, I mean like they're, they're doing a lot of heady stuff and I'm just, soul could end up being another up, which yeah. is one of my favorite Pixar movies, but not just necessarily. Yeah. Kids movie. The kid, but for up, like the kids like love the, the bird and dog and dog and the dog. Yeah. 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 I mean, I don't know. I'm going off of. I think I've always talked about I like Inside Out more than I think my kids like Inside Out. Right, you like Inside Out a lot, which I don't really. I'm I like Inside Out, but you like it a lot, which, what? like you said, because it if and when you speaks have, to you as a parent. If and when you have children, yeah. watch it again. You'll, you'll exactly. I think you'll have it. You have a different experience, but that's true of any movie and it, when anything when you get old, even if you don't have kids, when you get older, just you different know, life things. Movie, yeah, you, exactly. Right. You watch movies at a different time in your life, and it it. it Responds, you respond to it differently, right. right? Absolutely. So this was the first Disney film formatted 
it for IMAX theaters one night, uh, you know, one ninety one. Uh, so audience saw sixteen percent more of the film on screen. Did you know that? I did know that because <laughs> this time I got some facts. Ooh, give me one. one of them. Give me a fact. Oh, you want a fact? Yeah. I'll, I'll throw you a fact. Hurry up! I'm gonna come on, come on, come on. <laughs> did you know that there are hidden Mickey's throughout the entire uh, film? Yeah, I, I, you know what's funny is I had read that and I was like, I don't care. <laughs> <laughs> but go ahead. Tell well, me. I, what I like about that, like, there's like for instance, um, I'll give you two Casey's footprints when the holographic dog comes out with her footprints have made a Mickey head. Uh, and when you see Nix's watch for the first time, when he looks at it, when they, when he meets Frank and Casey at Tomorrowland, his watch, the three little screens have three circles on it that form Mickey's head. There's a lot of different things as well that kind of hint toward Disney parks. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, they shot at Disney world or Disney parks. Some of it. Yeah. yeah. Like the theme to Epcot's American adventure. Golden dream is the name of the song. That's the background music throughout the film. Frank's upstairs bedroom has purple wallpaper, which is like the haunted mansion space mountains in the background. Yeah. When they pan around um, the city. So I, I thought that was pretty cool because the whole movie is based on a park. And I feel like they did a really good job of kind of really showcasing that in a, in a very clever kind of hidden way sure. without smacking you over the head with it. Although toward the beginning when they're on small world, you're like, well, okay, that's the world's fair. That. That's what it was. Right. What so was that like. was there. Yeah. Right. Which I was like, man, I wish I was back. I mean, if you time travel, like I know people want to go to big events. I just want to experience like with the world's fair when it first started, when it was, when it was big before, you know, I'd, I'd love to experience that. You know what the first thing I thought when he gets off that bus and looks at the world fair was? What? It was Men in Black. <laughs> <laughs> I can't look at that globe or anything with the world's fair without thinking of Men yeah, in Black. Yeah, but that's Men in Black in the 90s. That's not back then in the 50s. But that's where they hit the UFO, man. <laughs> Listen, <laughs> I I forever know that scene because I'm a Mets fan, and I will forever know that scene because Bernard Gilkey is the one in the center, is the outfielder who's looking up at the sky when the when the thing's going over and he gets hit in the head with the ball. Which, if you were a Mets fan and you knew Bernard Gilkey, that happened quite often. <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> you mentioned that it was based on Disney World, the uh, based around a lot of the right. Yeah, it was also kind of based on a book. Uh, so there's a novel called Ring Around the Sun which was written by Clifford C-Mac or I think it's C-Mac, which was basically about a talented people coming together to create a new society. So it was kind of loosely around that idea as well. Well, I also know that they found a box that's kind of inspired Disney to want to make a movie about Tomorrowland. Right. Um, it was called well, the working, well, labeled 1952. That was the working title of the movie. Yeah, yeah. And it had all this Tomorrowland stuff inside of it. So it had all the original documents and plans and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. So that was really what inspired them to go. We need to make a movie based on this. Um, this is, uh, I don't know why I never knew this, but I never knew what Epcot stood for until I read, until I, what we, I researched this movie and we doing the notes. Mm-hmm. I never knew that Epcot stands for, a, I didn't know what it was stood for. Right. I, I can't remember. I, I know I've seen so, it before. Yeah. So watch which was st- which is stupid that I didn't know this, but it, <laughs> Epcot is supposed to means experimental prototype city of tomorrow, which I mean, how stupid am I that I, <laughs> I feel really dumb that I didn't know that. And like Judy Greer was in this movie, but she's completely cut out. She's just a voice yeah, in the background. Yeah. In the one video. <laughs> I assume she died. I don't, I don't, was she the mother? Or was she not? She's the mother. Was she the mother? Yeah. Uh, see, because she had like a huge, I guess she had a huge chunk. She shot a lot. Oh, did she? Yeah. I wonder maybe they had a lot of flashbacks. You have to get the Blu-ray and watch the deleted scenes. Did you get the Back to the Future reference? Uh, Back to the Future 2 reference? That's the hobby shop she right. goes to. Yes. Same name as the Blast from the Past where she meets Ursula and what was his character's name? Hugo. Hugo. 
Uh, and they're really, as you talked to, as you said, audio animatronic robots who attack Casey, but they work in a store called Blast from the Past. And obviously in Back to the Future 2, Marty buys a sports almanac at Blast from the Blast Past, from the past in, in Hilldale. So apparently it was a franchise. <laughs> Hugo and Ursula are named after different writers that have won. I, I, I knew that too, yeah. <laughs> I like that scene because uh, a lot of the scene in that shop also because of the use of the sound effects and props that they use mm-hmm. are all different science fiction props and they all have the different sound effects as they're beating each other up. Right. I thought that was a cool callback mm-hmm. to all the different sci-fi And stuff. they also, I think you see like Mr. Incredible in there. You see a couple things from other sh- other movies. Yeah, and stuff I think like one that. of the action yeah. figures that falls down is the bad guy from Incredibles 1. No, I think it was the original Mr. Incredible, like oh. his original outfit. Oh, the black and blue suit right, was his original. Right. right. Okay. Yes. That's what I think um you see there. Okay. So generally you like it, but oh. don't love it. And I love it. I like it a lot. But understand why you don't like it. <laughs> <laughs> I just need I just needed to provide a counterpoint to you. Like why like I know you'd have asked me why I didn't like it as much as you did. I mean, I couldn't remember why I didn't like it as much as you mm-hmm. until I watched it again. Okay. And then I was like, oh, it takes a long time to get to the plot. <laughs> I mean, but the adventure I, yeah. is fun. It's worth watching. The message is great. Yeah. And I think we already highlighted some of the reasons why it was forgotten in terms of I don't I just think people aren't weren't interested in this type of movie. Probably it's an original film that and like you said, maybe they were expecting a superhero movie, whatever. I mean, something like that. I know that Disney lost, like, I think up $240 million on this movie. Spent too much on marketing. Which, I mean, quite honestly, oh, Soros, can you let's be okay, Disney? Please. Uh, <laughs> so there, I, I just think there's a lot of stuff around this movie that I enjoy quite a bit that probably doesn't translate to box office dollars. I mean, yeah. I mean, you can say that Britt Robertson and Rafi Cassidy did a great job because they did, especially... I mean, I know Kit Robertson was actually a lot older than what she plays in the movie. Yes. She's like, I think like five or six years, seven years older than yeah. her character's actual ages. So I got there. I was getting there. Um, <laughs> but uh, Raffi Cassidy is she is a, a little girl in this movie. Yeah, that's, she's uh, a, she's fantastic. That You have to play somebody that has the body of obviously of a child, but the mind of somebody who not not just a robot, but somebody who has seen it all and experienced it all. And she's older and wiser. And right. Regrets and stuff like that. And, and she, you have to have an emotional connection to Frank Welker, played by George Clooney, especially at the end where like he's got to act like, you know, this is a girl that he his character when he was a kid falls in love with her yep. and like, he has a crush on her and he's then, never fallen out of love with her. Yeah. Right. And he just, and he's because she's a robot because, or excuse me, an animatronic because you know, it's almost like that's a source of anger with him because he feels like she's, she's a lie. She represents, you know, Tomorrowland and, and everything that, cause he gets kicked out when he was, he's a teenager. I think he gets kicked out. Well, he, she's also not honest with him. Correct. Right. So, but it, I mean, at the end when they have that, they have that moment when he's just like, it's that's, you know, g- kudos to her and kudos to him. Uh, Cause you know, that's tough to do. I would think for a lot of people, I think that's my favorite part of the film is uh, other than like the set pieces and stuff is their relationship is just so well done and well acted. It's like, wow, that's actually nice. I also like the uh, father daughter Newton has with her father. Tim McGraw plays her dad. Yeah. I don't think there's enough of that. I also thought there was more with her brother. Well, there is kind of, but like, the, how much? I mean, you're talking. I mean, for pacing, they can't really be in it that oh, long. I didn't say. I, I'm not right. saying. I thought there should be more. Mm-hmm. I thought there was more. Also, I was like I thought he right. was in with her with their adventure. I forgot about that. And also, I'm a fan of the two wolves story. I like that story. I like that idea. Which one you feed? Yeah, right. and, and I, I mean, 
if you want to, I, mean, I guess we can run through it real quick. It's just basically there's two inside of you. She talks, she breaks it down in the movie, but there's inside of you, there's two wolves. One wolf is hope and, and, um, love and joy and just kind of like everything good. And another wolf is everything bad, like negativity and, and doubtful and fear. And, and, you know, they're, they're constant. They're both inside of you and, you know, which one is going to win and it's the one you feed. And, you yep. know, so, you know, that's just, I like that lesson. I like that life lesson. I think that translates very well to, reality and people you know now so and people choose to be negative and people choose to be positive you just have to you know feed the right wolf kind of thing there are two wolves and they're always fighting one is darkness and despair the other is light and hope which wolf wins okay fine don't answer whichever one you feed So I enjoy that. And I think that stems from, I like the fact that she turns it around on her dad and she makes him, cause he's sitting there obviously losing his job and all that right. stuff. Yeah. Which I was surprised Tim McGraw did a really good job. Well, he's good. Dad. Yeah. yeah. He's good in the blind side. I like him in the blind side. Oh, I forgot he's in the yeah, blind side. Right. The, yep. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, no, he's good. <laughs> I just like when they were trying to watch football, she turns it off. He's <laughs> <Just> like, what? <laughs> That's from the blind side. Everyone. Uh, um, so now did you know that Shailene Woodley turned down the lead role? Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, I guess they offered. Would you have preferred her in this role? Nah. I mean, I really haven't seen her in enough stuff uh, other than the, the Div- Divergent series. And she's okay in Snowden. Mm-hmm. But I don't know if she would have had the chops at that point. I mean, I mean it's, it's tough, but I, I don't know. Maybe, maybe not. That's some, there's a, I know you talk about how there's no names around Clooney, but I mean, right. there's a case to be made by hiring, having people in here that you don't know too much. Right, because they have the ability to make the character like mm-hmm. Amelia Clark. Like I mentioned, that she was they offered her the role, or they wanted her for the role, but I don't know if she would have done a better job either. Yeah, or would have been a right, right choice. I know that they also considered Naomi Scott, who now got cast in another Disney movie as Jasmine. They also auditioned her for the role, but she lost to Britt Robertson. I think she would have done okay too. Yeah, I, I think, but I think they all would have made Casey a little different. I liked how Britt Robertson made Casey maybe a little more neurotic. Okay. Some of the others would have. Like when uh, when everything's trying, she's trying to figure out what's going on. I just feel in general, yeah. Yeah. Um, Casey's not, uh, uh, Roberts is not playing Casey to be, you know, pretty or adorable or whatever. She's just like. She's a doer. No, so, no nonsense doer, which right. I think she really hammers at home where I think the others might have tried to play her a little different. Mm-hmm. So she's an engineer almost. Like she's right. like her father. Her father's yeah. an engineer. Yeah. She's, you know, a little bit more advanced in terms of her of technology and stuff like that. Exactly. Right. All right. So I think, I mean, I don't have any other really major stuff to talk about. Do you? I like little touches that the movie does to like hint at other films and stuff like that. It's really a love letter to films that kind of inspiring sci-fi films like the Alan Grant seatbelt moment with Frank Walker when in the jetpack was clearly an homage to Jurassic Park. Like I said, in the, the store, all the different sound effects and props. They cast the lit teacher who talks about the uh, Orwell's 1984 book is the doctor from Stargate Atlantis, <laughs> which he would have just come off of at that point. So okay. I, I wonder if that's another sci-fi touch. Maybe. Just these little sci-fi touches here and there I thought were really, really cool. I know the music score pays homage to a lot of older, older a lot of less sci-fi movies like Rocketeer, Star Wars, Day of the Earth Stood Still, that kind that of stuff. That was purposeful? Because I yeah. did notice a couple of like little touches here and there like, oh, that's the opening yes. to this and that. Yeah, there was there, the music, the score does have moments of that just to kind of like harken to those. Like I think Star Trek, Star Trek 2, Mr. Destiny, a bunch of stuff. I noticed the, when she goes into Frank's house, I think 
I think it was the Star Trek, like, do mm-hmm. like the beginning to the opening theme plays as she goes to the fence. And I'm like, that's the exact same <laughs> note and time that that, that lingers on. Um, the other thing I noticed that I wanted to point out. So when they go into space and the Eiffel Tower opens up and it's a huge shuttle and then it takes out all of Paris, they kill a lot of people. They don't kill anybody. You don't think when that EMP goes off. It just turns off the electronics. Right. Streetlights everywhere going off. Car accidents are happening everywhere. Please. Hospitals have lost power. People are dying. They have backup People generators. People are dying, Mike. If they, they had have backup, backup generators, generators, there would be lights on that cityscape. There are no you know lights. What? Why don't you feed the right wolf butler, okay? <laughs> Listen, they saved the world, but they killed hundreds. They didn't kill Paris. hundreds of people. Come on. You don't even know if the lights maybe came back on. You don't know if it was just a blip. Maybe they were the cause of the uh, end of the world. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Thanks for taking the shuttle, guys. <laughs> You're real negative sometimes. You know that? <laughs> I know what we'll find. <laughs> well, I'm not taking you to Tomorrowland when I get that pen. Oh. I better get that pen. <laughs> That's real, right? <laughs> All right. So we're done. All right. Cool. Unless you want to keep going. I mean, we could keep talking. I had something to say about the pin, but I forget. <laughs> that you want one you can, I do want a pin just go to Disney World I'm sure just trade pins in Disney World I'm sure they have a Tomorrowland pin there's people who do there's people walking around Disney World that work there that have and other people that have giant Ziploc bags of pins and they're just going around trading pins like, hey you got this pin like that's all they do they go to Disney World and they just trade pins I, I got no time for that <laughs> <laughs> listen whatever floats your boat man <laughs> alright so that's our thoughts on Tomorrowland you should check it out if you haven't already it's uh, I don't know I like the movie. Um, I would show my children. It's PG. I don't have to worry about any swears prop cropping up. Listen, we just came off of watching Jumanji The Next Level, there and there are a lot of swears in that movie. Like, uh, do I, I mean, like, how am I supposed to justify a 78-year-old man, Danny DeVito, at the end going, holy shit, like right at the screen, like just right at the screen. Oh, I'm such a prude. Oh, come on, because no one else says that. <laughs> oh, your kid's the first time your kids are ever listen, that. Listen, listen, that shit don't happen here. <laughs> Stop sheltering your children. Let them out into the world. Go ahead. Swear, kids. Say the F word. Let me give you a couple. Whoa, whoa. You don't let them swear. You punish them if they do. But, I mean, they're going to hear it. If only it was that easy, Butler. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So we're going to wrap up our season three next week. Will be our last episode of the season. And then, obviously, I, I, nobody really cares about the seasons. We do. Whoa, whoa. The seasons come with new collectible season shirts. Oh, yes. As for now, you know, the store is open. <laughs> uh, if, if you've if you've not visited our website, please do. It's ForgottenCinemaPodcast.com. If you'd like to reach out to us, there's a contact form there. Um, there's a link to the uh, shop there as well. Uh, if you would like to just email us, it's ForgottenCinemaPod at gmail.com. Uh, we do take suggestions and we are open to having open dialogues about whatever. <laughs> but as I was saying, next week, we're going to wrap up season three. We're going to be talking about New Jack City, a movie that I have not seen since it first came out. So it's going to be interesting what I think about it. Really? It's yeah. been that long since you've it's, seen it? It's been quite I mean, it's been time. a long time since I've seen it, too. Hey, we're, that movie's like oh, 30 years old. I know. I mean, that's you think about that. I mean, I remember when I came out and we were just kind of like, oh, New Jack City. You got to see New Jack City. It's so great. And now it's like 30 years old. It's got oh, a lot of people God. in that. It does have a lot of people <laughs> in it. No, I, I, it's going to be interesting. I'm, I'm I'm intrigued as to how it's age. 44-year-old Michael will enjoy this movie <laughs> <laughs> when he watched it when I guess I was 14, 15. Yeah, it'll be interesting because I probably a lot of the topics probably went right over my head or I just didn't even, you know, understand it. I mean, I'm sorry. I know that teenagers are super smart nowadays, but <laughs> back then we weren't. 
I was probably 17 when I first watched it. So you watched it when it was on like home video or something, right? I watched it on like HBO or something. So that's next week. New Jack City. And do you have anything you wanted to uh, plug? Or I know we stopped doing plugs, but I don't know why I'm asking that. Screw you. We're not plugging (laughs) it. I want to plug our podcast. Well, I just did. And the store. I already did. I already did that. If you have not yet purchased your season one and season two shirts. Please do. Please do. They're going to go into the vault once we release. (laughs) I think. With Dumbo. (laughs) I'm I'm thinking we haven't really hammered at home, but I'm thinking we do three season shirts on the store at the same time. And then, you know, as the new ones come out. So once season four shirt goes in, Listen, season if one, you haven't gathered it already, Butler is in charge of the merchandise. So uh, I just let him run with that. I don't care. I mean, I mean, I do care, but like, I don't, you know, I've got a lot of things I got to do. You just don't care, guys. I do care. I didn't. I'm not the one that wanted leggings. <laughs> Listen, those leggings sell. <laughs> to your girlfriend oh she's the reason they were created <laughs> so yeah, obviously you see people that now butler has put uh his personal life ahead of forgotten cinema in terms of the choices <laughs> that we make for this podcast god damn you <laughs> i'm trying to make I, I, i'm here trying to expand the brand you try i thought you i thought you were about to say trying to make money it's like it's, <laughs> <laughs> i am very clear about that on the store page as well <laughs> <laughs> all right so that's uh <laughs> Go to the store, go to the pod, go to the website, check out our old podcast, uh, check out our old episodes. I mean, uh, we referenced quite a few of them in this episode. We did. So go back and see what we talk about. Uh, honestly, I don't ever remember what we talk about until the movie, the episode comes out because we have such a buffer between the, uh, the episodes. So I'm experiencing it for the first time as well. So, <laughs> so thanks for listening, everybody. We'll see you next week. I'm Mike Field. I'm Mike Butler. And this has been Forgotten Cinema. I once told your predecessor that she was nothing but a combination of ones and zeros. I was wrong. She was much more than that. You are much more than that, too. So, go out there and do what she would have done. Find the ones who haven't given up. They're the future. <laughs>